0: All right, praise the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Now you look good. Looks like somebody has been fellowshipping with Jesus today. You have that look on your face, praise God. All right, before you're seated, and since most of you have already seated, go ahead and be seated. (laughs) What a joy it is to be with you tonight, and pastors, thank you so much for Uh, hosting us, and we're thrilled to be with you. We love Australia. I have been coming to Australia since about 1986, I believe, and uh, always look forward to being here. We've met a lot of wonderful people, developed a lot of great friendships, and uh, always looking forward to speaking in churches that I've not been in in the past, and it's just a joy to be with you tonight. We will be flying to Melbourne tomorrow to do some meetings on Sunday and then finally flying back to Texas and uh, as soon as I get home, just be there for a couple of days and then I'm headed to England to preach uh, a victory campaign with Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland and I have been preaching together 53 years out of my 54 years. Amen. And... uh, I, I have finally decided, Brother Copeland cannot do a victory campaign or a believers' convention without Jerry Seville. <laughs> Amen. It's a it's a joy and an honor to uh, to have wonderful relationships like that. We're in covenant relationship. Our our families are in covenant relationship. My my children consider Brother Copeland their second father. Uh, I have seven grandchildren. My Uh, When my first grandson was born, uh, he couldn't say Brother Copeland. He called him Brother Coco. And now that young boy is 33 years old, and Brother Copeland says to me, where's Mark James? Tell him Brother Coco said hi, you know. So we have a a great relationship, and uh, looking forward to being with him just in a few days. He's celebrating 40 years of ministry in the U.K., So that's what we're going to celebrate while we're there. And uh, so keep us in your prayers, praise God. All right, are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? ready? We're going to have a good time tonight in the Word of God. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to impart into these wonderful people. Thank you for giving me utterance in the Holy Ghost that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for simplicity. So every person will be able to understand and be able to apply what they hear because your word declares, it's the doer of the word that is blessed in his deeds. And so tonight we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, both in the delivery of your word and in the confirming of your word with signs following. And we give you praise for it in advance in the name of Jesus. And go ahead and give the Lord your absolute best shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Are there any folks in here tonight that were in the meeting last night? All right. Great. Glad you came and joined us again tonight. Now, I'm going to say some things that you've already heard, but the rest of them haven't. And I'm required to do this uh, before I minister the word or the message that the Lord gives me. I learned this from Kenneth Hagin many years ago. And uh, he said that every time he told the story of when Jesus appeared to him and put his fingers in the palm of his hands and anointed his hands to pray for the sick, There's just a stronger anointing that manifests. So in 1991, in the Believers' Convention in Fort Worth, Texas, I've preached in every convention that Brother Copeland has done over the years. And uh, I usually preach every day. And he also has me to do the evening service on Thursday night. So after he was introducing me, he started to walk off the platform And he stopped and said, wait a minute, Jerry, before you start, the word of the Lord's come to me. And he began to prophesy over me. And he said, tonight, God is moving you into a new dimension of ministry. And it's the office of the seer. God's going to begin to show you things in the spirit that are coming and then hold you responsible for preaching them and sharing them with the body of Christ, wherever he might send you. Then there was a number of other things he added to that, but that was the the main part of it. And then shortly after that, I was preaching all over Southern California. And I had one night off on a Saturday night. And I knew that Brother Kenneth Hagin was in Riverside, California that week. And I had decided that I wanted to be in his service and, uh, and, and then come back to Los Angeles where I was staying after the service and then continue my own schedule. So I rented a car and was driving over to Riverside. Now, I've spent a lot of time in Southern California. It's, it's like a second home to me. And uh, I have a strong partner base all over Southern California. So I'm very familiar with it. I know how long it takes to drive from Los Angeles to Riverside. And if you've never done it before, uh, leave plenty early. The, the traffic is horrendous. And I don't like being late. And so I thought I had left plenty early so that I would be there on time and hopefully get to say hello to Brother Hagin before he went out to preach. Well, as it turned out, the traffic was worse than normal. And I I, uh, actually ended up being an hour late in the meeting. And I thought when I walked in the auditorium that Brother Hagin would have already been preaching. But much to my surprise, he was still sitting on the platform looking down at his Bible And the Ramah singers were still leading the people in praise and worship. And so I didn't want to disturb anything, so I just looked for a seat on the back row somewhere. And while I'm looking for a seat, apparently Brother Hagin raised his head up and saw me. And he stood up and he said, you can stop now. He's here now. Brother Jerry, God told me you'd be here. I have a word for you. Come on up to the front. I didn't let Brother Hagan know I was going to be in the meeting. I didn't let any of his staff know. If I had, they would have had a seat on the front row reserved for me. And I didn't tell anybody I was coming, but Brother Hagan picked it up in the spirit. And so I went to the front, and Brother Hagan began to prophesy over me. And this is just a couple of weeks after Brother Copeland had said what he said in Fort Worth in the Believers' Commission. He said, now, Brother Jerry... Uh, God's moving you into a new dimension of ministry and you've been a little bit hesitant to accept it. And he said, and the Lord told me to tell you, it's time for you to move in, move up and move out. And you know what I'm talking about? I said, yes, sir. And then he laid his hands on me and prayed over me. After the service, I got to visit with him for a little while back in the speaker's room. And he said, now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm going to move in, move up, and move out. That's what I'm going to do about it. Praise God, because that's what you said by the Spirit of God. He said, all right, praise God. So anyway, uh, I went back to Los Angeles, and I stayed out there for another week or so. And then I came home, and I was traveling in other cities and other states. And then I wound up going back to Southern California, to Anaheim, California. And one morning while I was uh, in the hotel, I received a phone call. And it's from Oral Roberts. And Brother Roberts said, uh, Jerry, are, where are you preaching tonight? I said, I'm in Anaheim. I told him where I'd be. He said, is Carolyn, you, my wife, uh, with you? I said, yes, sir, she is. He said, well, uh, Evelyn and I will be in your service tonight and tell Carolyn to save a seat for us next to her. We, we've, we're coming to hear you preach. And so I, I said, well... Can you come a little early where I can say hello to you before I go out to speak? He said, we'll do our best. So they arrived and I just had a couple of moments to just greet them and love on them. And then the ushers took them and set them next to my wife. After the sermon, uh, Brother Roberts came up to me and he said, now I'm not going to tell you what I heard and what I saw in the spirit. I'm going to write it to you in a letter. So as soon as you get home, expect a handwritten letter from me. I said, yes, sir, i look forward to it. So when I got home, that letter was waiting for me. And uh, as I began to read it, it was four pages long and uh, in in his own handwriting. And so I had to pray in the spirit to interpret. And uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, the first part of it was, as I heard you preach tonight. Now he wrote this as soon as he got back home after that service. He said, as I heard you preach tonight, I heard you preaching prophetically. And I encourage you that from this day forward, every time you go to the pulpit, preach prophetically. It's a new anointing on your ministry. Okay. So Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Oral Roberts heard all the same thing and prophesied over me regarding it within just a matter of a few weeks of each other. Then shortly after that, I was in Tulsa preaching with Brother Roberts in a minister's conference. And when I arrived, he said, now I'm gonna preach first tonight and then I'm gonna turn it over to you and you will close out the service. I said, okay. And so when he got through preaching, he turned it to me. And when I got up, I noticed that on the front row was TL and Daisy Osborne. And as soon as the service was over, Brother Osborne came to me and he said, now, Brother Jerry, uh, I knew you would be here tonight. And I told Daisy, we need to go. And tell him what we've heard from the Lord. And he said, uh, God's moved you into a new dimension of ministry. And he said, uh, it's an exciting office of ministry. Now, Brother Osborne, if any of you ever heard Brother Osborne preach, he had a unique way. Uh, I love being around Brother Osborne. I called him a prince of the man. And he, he, he every time he would see me, he would turned to uh, uh, Daisy, and he'd say, Oh, Daisy, it's the smart preacher. Oh, Brother Jerry, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. You're such a communicator. Nobody tells a story like Jerry Savelle. Oh, boy, oh, wow. And that was T.L. Osborne. And, he, and when he said that to me, and he told me what the Lord said to him, he said, Oh, boy, oh, wow. You have some exciting days ahead. Hallelujah. So these were my four mentors. When I first went in the ministry in 1969, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Oral Roberts, and T.L. Osman were my four mentors. I had the privilege of preaching with them all over America, many other nations as well. I uh, had the privilege of becoming very close and intimate friends with them. And uh, they were in my home often. I was in their homes often. And... Uh, we had a wonderful relationship. I served on Brother Robert's board for over 20 years until he went home to be with the Lord. So these men made a tremendous impact on my life. And then when they all heard the same thing within a matter of a few weeks of each other, then what else could I do but obey God? So I began in 1991 setting aside the month of October to spend quality time with the Lord and to see what he would show me, and to hear what he would say, and then once I received it, that's what I would take to the world every, everywhere I went, every week. I didn't change the message; and God just kept adding to it. You know, you give, and it is given unto you. And every time I'd preach it, I'd get more insight, more revelation. And so I've been doing that since 1991, and uh, every year, the first part of October. I set aside that time to ask the Lord, what is the message that I'm to emphasize, the prophetic word that I'm to take to the body of Christ, wherever you might send me. So this past October, 2022, as I was praying, the Lord said, everywhere you go in 2023, you tell the people it's time for the maximum, the highest level attainable. He said, tell them to quit settling for less than my best. Look at your neighbor and tell them, quit settling for less than my best. That was really weak. Now, I want you to say it with a little excitement in it, okay? So look at your neighbor with a smile on your face and put a little volume into your voice and tell them, quit settling for less than God's best. I tell the story... Some time ago, actually a few years ago, I invited a a man to come and to speak to my staff. And he speaks in in, uh, Fortune 500 companies. He's a a, a motivational speaker and also a a minister. And I invited him to come and and just speak to my staff. And when he arrived uh, and I turned the meeting over to him, the first thing he did, he said this. How many of you believe that dogs love bones? And everybody in, in there, including me, lifted their hand. Because I had a dog and he loves bones. And he said, all of you raised your hand, indicating that you believe dogs love bones. He said, dogs don't love bones. They love steak. They settle for bones. I thought, that'll preach. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's what the Lord reminded me when he said, tell the people it's time for the maximum. Quit settling for bones and go for the stake. Amen? So look at your neighbor, and once again tell them with a little volume and a little excitement, stop settling for bones. It's time to go for the stake. And give the Lord a good shout, hallelujah. Amen? Praise God. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to the 29th chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29. I believe by the time we end tonight, you're going to be glad you came. You're headed for another level, and it's beginning tonight, praise God. Amen. Let's look at verse 18. You're all familiar with it. I'm sure you've read it many times, heard it preached about numerous times. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I looked up the word perish in several dictionaries. I'm a kind of person that I don't like assuming that I know what something means. I want to be sure. And one of my favorite reference books, along with my Bible, is my 1828 Noah Webster Edition Dictionary. And the reason I love this dictionary is because it not only gives definitions, it gives scripture references to them. If you haven't got an 1828, you can download it on your iPad. It's a wonderful reference. So I looked in this particular uh, dictionary and the word perish was defined as to be overthrown the bible says without a vision the people perish in other words without a vision it's highly probable you will be overthrown by your adversary it goes on to say it means to experience ruin and still another meaning was The loss of well-being. So notice it says that where there is no vision, the people experience the loss of well-being. And then another dictionary says this. It defines it as to wither away, to waste away, and it also said this, to come to nothing. Without a vision, the people come to nothing. You could say, when you have no vision, then you begin dying. And I've watched that over the years, where people who have no vision, and and they never attempt to recapture a vision or a fresh vision, they start dying. In fact, I've had several minister friends just recently, because they they uh, uh, just got. I, I suppose it would be weary and well doing would be a good way to describe it, and they 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 didn't have any motivation or drive anymore. And these were great ministers they They were very visionary, but over a period of time they they lost their vision, and then they began to die. And in fact, I was supposed to be doing the funeral or a homecoming or homegoing of one such minister. Tomorrow night. And I was not able to be there because I'd already scheduled to be in Australia. I remember my father. uh, My dad and I were extremely close. He was my best friend all of my life. My dad represented everything I wanted to be. My dad raced automobiles, my dad restored classic automobiles. Uh, He started teaching me how to do that when I was nine years old. And I'd already Mapped out my life. My future was going to be in the automotive business. I was going to own my own business. I was going to restore classic automobiles. I was going to race automobiles and follow in the footsteps of my father. And uh, eventually, by the time I was 21, that was exactly what I was doing. I was owned my own automotive business. My dad and I were hauling race cars all over the southern part of the United States. I was living my dream, but I was not living God's dream for my life. And that didn't happen until 1969. But I remember my dad, uh, at a young age, he began having heart attacks. And one time before he reached 60 years old, he had a massive heart attack and uh, was not supposed to to live. And uh, I was out of the country when it took place. and, And when I got back home, my wife said, your dad's in Florida, he was visiting his brother. And he had a massive heart attack. He's in the hospital, and he's not expected to live. So I got in my airplane, and I flew to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where he was, and uh, uh, walked in the hospital, met with a doctor. And the doctor said, uh, your father will not leave this hospital. He will die before morning. And uh, he showed me the charts. He showed me the diagnosis and everything. And, and then he took me to my father's room. I walked in there and my dad was hooked up to every kind of machine you can imagine. And when he saw me, he began to weep. I said, dad, I don't believe it's time for you to leave. I don't believe it's time for you to go. I said, but it's your choice. I said, now the doctor told me you will not walk out of this hospital. You will not see mourning. That's what he says. But I said, the Bible says by his stripes, you are healed. And I said, the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But you have to make the choice. I can't make it for you. Even though I don't want you to leave and I don't believe it's time for you to leave, but I'll pray however you ask me to pray. I said, what is your choice? He said, I don't want to die. I said, that's all I need to hear. I laid my hands on him. God healed him instantly. And I walked my father out of that hospital place, God. Okay. Put him in the airplane and flew him home. Okay, so uh, he was he was good for a number of years, but he began to lose the will to live. He had no vision, and when he had no vision, he began dying. And so I came home uh, from a meeting and I went to see him. And uh, by this time, he's uh, much older. And I asked my mother, I said, "Where's Where's Dad?" She said, "He's in his room." And he's been crying all day he's, he, he's, he just won't hardly uh, talk. he's just just wants to be left alone and he's just been crying all day. I went into his room, and when he saw me, he began to weep, and I said, "Dad, what's the matter? Why have you been crying all day?" He said, "Son, I don't know if I can I don't, I don't know if I'm uh, have the ability to fight this anymore." he said uh, I've lost the will to live. I said, Dad, it's not time for you to leave. But once again, I'll pray however you want me to pray, but I don't believe it's time for you to leave, and I don't want you to leave. we still got a lot to accomplish, and I want you by my side while we're doing it. And I said, so uh, let me pray for you. So I began praying for him, and then I got this, this idea, and I believe it was a God idea. I said, dad, I want you up and dressed in the morning. At nine o'clock, I'm coming by to pick you up and I'm gonna do something for you that medicine can't do, doctors can't do. He said, what, son? I said, I'm not telling you, just be ready. I'll come pick you up at nine o'clock in the morning. And so when I got back home, I called Texas Motor Speedway and I hired a professional race driver and I said, I'll be at the racetrack tomorrow at about 9.30 And I want you to take my father around in this race car and I want you to give him 20 laps at about 200 miles an hour. (laughs) He said, it's going to cost. I said, no matter what the cost, I'll cover it. And so I picked up my dad and I started driving on the north side of Fort Worth to the Texas Motor Speedway. I hadn't told him yet what I was going to do. And so when we got to the speedway, he said, son, what are we doing here? I said, you'll find out, and so we got up to the, to the uh, infield, and uh, the man was waiting there in the race car out on the, uh, the, out on the track, so I walked my dad over there, and I said, now, dad, get in this car, and you're going to go for 20 laps around this racetrack, and he promised me you'll be doing at least 200 miles an hour, and I strapped my dad in that seat. And that man took him around that track for 20 laps, 200 miles an hour. And my dad lived another five years. <laughs> what happened? He got his adrenaline pumping. He, he, he got the will to, to live once again. I knew because my dad raced all my young life. If I could do something that would get his adrenaline pumping again, get a vision again, then he would continue to live. Now notice here it says, without a vision... The people perish. Without a vision, you start dying. Anybody ready to die? I'm not. I'm 76 years old. I haven't finished my course, and I'm not ready to go. I'm looking forward to heaven, but not tonight. And not tomorrow. I still got a lot of preaching to do. I got a lot of traveling to do. I got a lot of inspiring to do. I got a lot of encouraging to do. And I still got a lot of people to talk into winning, praise God. Amen. So I have vision. You know, I, I, as I said, I'm 76 years old. I'll be 77 in just a few months. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like I'm 46 years old. I don't think retire. That's not in my vocabulary. And, and I have a lot of classmates that I graduated from high school with. And, and every once in a while, I'll run into them. Some of them will be in my meetings. And I'll ask them, what are they doing? Retired, retired, retired. Said, when are you going to retire? I said, never. Yeah. Uh, you just going to keep preaching? Yeah. Amen. How are you going to do that? Just watch. <laughs> I got vision. Vision keeps you living. Keep living uh, Vision keeps you inspired. It keeps you motivated, praise God. So one other translation says this. Where there is no prophetic oracle from God, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no prophetic oracle from God, the people cast off restraint. That simply means when you don't have a prophetic oracle, a prophetic word, then you lose drive and motivation. You you have nothing that wakes you up every morning. You have nothing that puts you to sleep at night with a smile on your face. People that don't have vision, don't have a prophetic oracle from God. They have no no, uh, motivation, they have no drive, they have no reason for for, uh, reaching to the next level. That's what a prophetic oracle is designed to do, is to motivate you and also to create a vision on the inside of you. Now, when I heard God say in 2023, tell people everywhere you go all over the world. Now, I've already been all over Africa this year. I've already been all over Europe this year. I'm here in Australia now. Next week, I'll be back in Europe. And everywhere I have gone, I have encouraged people to get a vision for the maximum and the highest level attainable. And I hope that I will do that for you tonight because that's God's best for your life. That's where he wants you to go. Don't settle for the bones when you can have the steak. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, the message translation goes on to say, when it says, the, uh, the people perish, but happy is he that keepeth the law. The message translation says, but when they attend to what God says, they are most blessed. When you have a prophetic oracle from God and you attend to it, or you uh, uh, endeavor to apply it in your life, then the Bible says you will be most blessed. Now, blessed is wonderful, but most blessed, that's another level. How many of you would like to be most blessed? Amen. I like being blessed, but when I hear the words most blessed, that tells me there's another level, praise God. And that's where Jerry Savelle is going this year, and I hope all of you will go with me, praise God. Look at your neighbor and smile real big and say, I'm going, how about you? Amen. All right, now, I want you to... uh, Listen to this, go with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. Now, those of you that were in the meeting last night, you've heard it up to this point. And as soon as I get through reading this verse, then we're going into something you haven't heard before because I just got it today. Okay. (laughs) Hebrews chapter four, or you haven't heard it from me anyway. And look at verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Talking about Old Testament characters. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith when they heard it. Notice they heard the word, but they didn't mix their faith with it. And as a result, it didn't do them a bit of good. Now, you can hear the Word tonight, but if you don't mix faith with it, then you might as well just stay at home. Anybody plan to mix faith with what you're about to hear tonight? Let your neighbor and say, I plan to. Well, how about you? Amen. Notice, if you don't mix faith with the Word preached, then it will not profit you or it will not benefit you. Now I'm the kind of person when I go to hear and when I go to a meeting and I'm not speaking in it and and I'm going to hear someone that I respect and 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 have confidence in their ability to hear from God and their their accuracy in the delivering of the word I go with the attitude that I'm going to mix my faith with what I hear preached tonight I never I never went to a Kenneth Hagin meeting that I didn't say before I got there father whatever Kenneth Hagin preaches tonight I'm mixing my faith with it before I ever get there so it will benefit me. I did the same thing with Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, Kenneth Copeland, John Osteen, Charles Caps, uh, people that I had great respect for. And I would say before I ever got to the meeting, now, Father, I'm not going to just take up space tonight. I'm going to mix my faith with what I hear preached, and I believe it will benefit me. It will bring profit to my life, praise God. So say this with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I make a quality decision right now, this very moment, that what I'm about to hear preached, I'll mix my faith with it and therefore, I am confident that it will benefit me. And if you really believe it, give God a shout in advance, hallelujah, amen. Now, I have a question for you. Are you gonna mix faith with what you hear tonight? Yes. How come it's only the same people that respond? And they seem to all be right here. Boy, you're in for the you're in for the good tonight, amen. All right, I'm just I'm just picking on you, as we say. Now, notice the amplified Bible says it this way because it was not mixed with faith and confidence. In God's power and ability to bring it to pass. It was not mixed with faith in God's ability and power to bring it to pass. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you believe that it's quite possible for God to cause you to experience the maximum this year? What are the rest of you going to do? I have confidence and I have strong faith in God's ability to cause me and my ministry and my family and my loved ones to experience maximum results this year. Amen. Amen. And I get up every morning declaring it. The Bible says, thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee. I get up talking it every morning. I go to bed talking it. I preach it all day long. In fact, once I receive the prophetic word, I have my uh, art department to make these little bookmarks and we give a copy of them to everybody in our church, everybody on our staff all over the world. I want everybody seeing and saying the same thing. I want everybody on the same page. And when I, when I bring it to our church and I spend the first uh, three weeks after I receive it just preaching it to my own church and then I take it to the rest of the world. And every one of our staff, they have these little bookmarks on their desk and I encourage them when they come to work every morning before you do anything else, read that, decree it. Decree it because thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. Another translation says, if you will say it enough, eventually it will become a reality in your life. Amen? Amen. So, this is what we do. Why? Because the Bible says, write the vision, make it plain, so he that reads it can run with it. So that's the reason why I give our staff and our church members, and we take them around the country and pass them out to people wherever I preach, In fact, uh, contact our ministry office here on the Gold Coast if you want one of these. You know, uh, we didn't, I don't know if they brought enough or if we still have some here, but you can contact the office. They have them there and put it in your Bible. And every time you read your Bible, you do read your Bible, right? Okay, every time you read your Bible, look at it and say, 2023, my year for the maximum and the highest level attainable. Amen. All right, now, I want you to open your Bibles to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter (laughs) 9, and as you're turning there, I've got some questions I want to ask you because I I want a response. I said, one of the translations says, because what they heard was not mixed with faith and confidence in his power and ability to bring it to pass, then it did not profit them. So I'm asking you once again, how many of you believe that God is able and has the power to bring this to pass even if you've never experienced maximum results before? Okay. That's the first step. That's the first step. Do you believe it? Now, in Matthew chapter nine, there's a story about Jesus uh, being approached by two blind men. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. But let's go there and look at it together. Matthew chapter nine. And beginning in verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. Believe me, me believe ye that I am able to do this. Notice before the miracle came, before God responded, He wanted them to answer a simple question. Do you believe I'm able to do this? I'm going to ask you that question regarding the prophetic word I've given you. Do you believe that God is able to take you to the maximum? If you can't answer yes, then I would suggest that you spend more time in the word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word and just keep feeding your spirit the Word until you can say without any reservation and without any hesitation, yes, Lord, I believe you're able to do this. Amen. So if you can't say, yes, I believe you're able to do this, then you need to develop your faith a little longer, a little stronger. And how does that happen? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So notice he asks them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, yay, Lord, or yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes. Notice he didn't administer the miracle until they answered the question. It's not likely you will experience the maximum until you can answer the question. Do you believe God is able to take you to the maximum? I believe that's what he's asking you right now. Do you believe that I'm able to take you to the maximum, the highest level attainable? Amen. So notice the question came first, the response came second, and then the miracle came. And I believe that's exactly the way it works today. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it says, he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you and their eyes were opened immediately now the miracle came based on how they answered that question are you still with me now I prayed at the beginning for simplicity and clarity so I want to know if you understand what I'm saying to you before we go any further I'm trying to make it as simple as I possibly can amen I used to say about Fred Price, if you don't get it when Fred Price teaches it, because he went from every angle you could imagine, then you simply were not listening. So hopefully you'll be able to walk out of here tonight with a revelation of how to tap into God's maximum. Can you say amen? amen? So once again, the question came, do you believe I'm able to do this? Then the response, yes, Lord. And then, according to your faith, be it unto you. And then the miracle took place. Now, the message translation reads this way. Do you really believe I can do this? I think it's interesting that it's prefaced with do you really believe? Because a lot of people say, I believe. But do they really believe? Do they truly believe? Or is it just words that they're familiar with and it's words that are uh, commonly spoke among believers? You know, sometimes I believe it's just a religious cliche with some people because they, they know that's what they're expected to say. But then you find out they don't really believe. I've noticed a lot of the songs that we sang. I mean, they're very powerful. They're very, very positive, And people get through singing them. And then they talk differently. Waymaker. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. They just got through singing Waymaker. <laughs> Promise keeper. Well, I hope God keeps his word. Dear God, if he doesn't, we're, do- we're done. We're finished. We're finished. I thought you just got through singing. He's a promise keeper. Do you really believe what you're singing? Uh-huh. Okay. So he says, do you really believe that I can do this? They said, why, yes, master. Notice they didn't even hesitate. Of course you can do this. Of course we believe you can do this. He touched their eyes and said, well, become what you believe. And what did they become? Completely healed. Totally healed. They experienced the maximum. Amen. He didn't just he didn't just, you know, give them the ability to to make out you know a little bit of light. No, they were completely totally made whole. Made whole is symbolic of reaching the maximum. Can you say amen? Amen. So I ask you again tonight, do you really believe that it's possible for God to enable you to experience the maximum? If you can say yes, Lord, then it will happen. Just like it happened for them. Amen. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 5. It's not uncommon that God will ask particularly you'll see it in the ministry of Jesus, it's not uncommon that Jesus will ask the people a question before he administers the miracle. See, we have a part to play in it. Notice in John chapter 5, And beginning in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the... uh, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, it was a legend that whoever stepped into that pool first received a miracle. But you had to be the first one to step into that pool. Now, the Bible says here that the place was covered with what we would call in society today uh, impossible situations. There's not a, a lot of people at this pool that just have a bad cold. They're, they're lame. They're blind. They're, they're, they're crippled. And they're waiting for the moving of the water. The legend says that the angel would come down and stir the water, and the first person who got in the pool when the water was stirred received a miracle. Okay? So Jesus went to this place knowing that there would be a multitude of people around that pool. And it says in verse 4, <clears throat> For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and touched the water, and whoever then first, after the touching of the water, or troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Notice, made whole. Made whole represents ultimate, highest level, maximum. In other words, whatever they had, when they stepped into the pool, they didn't have it anymore. In fact, when you're made whole, there's no evidence you ever had it. Okay? So that's the maximum, you, you could say. So as you keep reading, it says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been in this condition for a long time, He saith unto him, now notice the question. You remember the question before, do you believe I'm able to do this? This time he says, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Notice Jesus is looking for a certain specific response before he administers the miracle. Now this man, it says, the impotent man answered and said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled, to to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steps in before me. So what is he saying? Can I come down there? Okay. Thank you very much. I want to see the whites of your eyes. Hallelujah. Make sure you haven't fallen asleep on me. Now notice what it says. The man, when he's asked by Jesus will thou be made whole? The man says, I don't have a man. What is he saying? Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been crippled all my life. 38 years. And he said, I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. He said, and every time I attempt and somebody tries to help me, somebody steps in ahead of me. And the, the legend was whoever stepped in first Was made whole. Not whoever stepped in third. Or sixth. Or ninth. First. And so he's saying. uh, Because of my, my. My present. Circumstances. It's not likely I'll ever be the first one in the pool. So why is he still there? Why is he still there? He doesn't. He doesn't expect to be. Made whole. He's doing it. Out of religious. Amen. He's just going there religiously. Never expecting to be made whole. Because he knows he's never going to be the first one in the pool. Somebody always steps in ahead of him. So why is he even there? It's just the religious thing to do. Like a lot of people come to church. It's just the religious thing to do. They don't come expecting Okay, I'm not getting much response. I'll try on this side. <laughs> A lot of people come to church. and They don't expect. They just they just want to be seen. It's just the religious thing to do. They'll be able to say, "Yeah, I go to church every Sunday," but they come in and they leave the same way. Nothing nothing changes for them. This is the way this man was. He goes to that pool and he sits there. Waiting for this angel to stir the water, and the moment the angel shows up and stirs the water, he knows it's not likely he'll ever be the first one in the pool. And so, notice when Jesus said, Will you be made whole? Now, the first thing that question implies is this wholeness is available. If it wasn't available, Jesus wouldn't be offering it. Jesus would never say to someone, Would you like to be healed? And they say, yes. Well, that's healing's passed away. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know. No, he would not do you that way. When he says, will you be made whole? The question implies wholeness is available, but it also implies you have to make a decision. I can't make it for you. You have to make a decision. Will you be made whole? Amen. Uh, a few years ago, about five years ago, I had turned 70 and I hadn't had a physical in quite a while. And uh, my, my wife and my two daughters, particularly my two daughters, they're daddy's girls. They love their daddy. And uh, uh, they said, daddy, uh, you haven't had a physical in a while. I said, no, I haven't. Now when i was when I used to pilot my own airplane I, the FFA re- required me uh, to have a physical every year and uh, but i I quit flying myself I have pilots that do that uh, and uh, they're very qualified and I enjoy the ride hallelujah <laughs> and uh, so i hadn't when i when I try to set up an appointment the doctor that I used all those years he was not available when he was available I was out of Town or out of the country and it just seemed like we never could get our schedules together and I'm not suggesting anybody do this but I finally just kind of let it slide and so the girl said daddy you haven't had a physical in a long time go have a physical I said well I'm fine girls I'm highly motivated I spend 21 days out of every month traveling all over the world have been doing that for 54 years and and I'm fine and uh they said, yeah, but if there's anything that you don't know about, they can tell you, and then you can target your faith toward that. Well, since they were persistent, I went to have a physical and was shocked to find out that there was a blockage in an artery in my heart, and they were suggesting to do a bypass. My girl said, Daddy, do it, and the doctor said, uh, uh, we, we can do this. And, and you'll recover, you know, in a, uh, you know, on time recovery. And uh, so we went in to do that. And they, they prepped me that morning and, and uh, took me into surgery and opened my heart and, and did a bypass with that artery. And then they sewed me back up and put me in recovery room. Now I'm laying there, just had my heart, my chest opened, bypass and I'm hooked up to these machines and a nurse comes in and says uh, uh, Brother Saville, uh, there's a woman a few doors down that had, had the same operation you just had she's a single mom and she's dying, she doesn't look as though she's going to pull through this operation could you come pray for her? <laughs> now I'm laying there with all this hooked up And and I just had my chest opened, and and you know uh, if anybody ever gone through heart surgery, they give you uh, a pillow, and and actually it was a teddy bear, and they said you're gonna fall in love with this teddy bear, and they want you to keep it pressed up against your chest, you know, while you're recovering, and so this what I have I haven't been out of surgery more than five hours. And she's coming to ask me if if I can go down the hall and pray for this lady that's dying. I said, well, help me get up. Cover my backside up. I don't be walking down the hall, you know. You know how those surgery gowns are. They don't fit. (laughs) I said, I don't want anything showing while I'm going down there, you know. and, and help me roll this thing down there. And I'm, I'm walking down there and holding this bear up against my chest, you know. And, and I look like a sight. And I'm walking down there and I go into her room, lay hands on her. God heals her and she, yeah. she survived. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and so uh, my recovery was so quick. I mean, it was so amazing. The doctor said his exact words. Your recovery has been magical. Can you explain this? I said, no, sir, it's not magic. It's the anointing of God. It's, it's the supernatural power of God. He said, well, I am so impressed. I'm not going to charge you one dime. The hospital didn't pay, charge me anything. The doctor, surgeon didn't charge me anything. I mean, I walked out of there, and it cost thousands of dollars to do this and didn't owe them a dime, okay? So, and got people healed while I was there. In fact, in fact, the the nurses station kept coming into my room and, and one of them said, Who are you? I said, Jerry Savel. Yeah, but who are you? I said, Jerry Savelle. She said, Are you famous? I said, Well, I wouldn't say that, but she said, We've never had more calls from people from all over the world asking about you, and and we don't have room at the nurses' station for all the flowers and all the gifts that have been sent here. Who are you? I said, uh, well, just tell all the nurses to take it home with them. Bless them with it. Oh, they were hoping I'd come back. I said, I don't want to come back. You know? <laughs> so later, they said, now, the, the surgeon said, now, we didn't want to do this at the same time you had to bypass. But, uh, I'm telling you, there is another situation that we need to take care of. They said the artery between your, your, your uh, neck, your heart, and your brain, it, it's blocked. It said about 75%. And we want to do an incision in your neck and remove the, the, the plaque buildup. Then we will sew you back up. You'll probably be in the hospital overnight. Then you can go home the next day and just relax for a few days, and then you can be back to normal. And so my girl said, Daddy, do it. So we went into surgery. And they, they did. The last thing I remember the doctor saying was this. Routine surgery. You'll be home tomorrow. That's the last thing I remember hearing. So they, they did that. And the doctor came out, and he told my wife and daughters, and uh, some Jesse and Kathy Duplantis came and wanted to be with me. And so he told all of them that, that, that uh, the surgery was successful. And they said, can we go to lunch and uh, come back? Will he be in his, waiting, his, uh, uh, his own room? Yes. Well, when they came back, the doctor met him at the door and said, something's happened. Said uh, some of the plaque broke off and went to his brain. He's had a major stroke. He said, uh, we had to go back in and uh, uh, do some things and said, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, Miss Savelle, but your husband will never be normal again. Your husband will never travel again. Your husband will never preach again. And said, in fact, uh, he will probably, we would recommend that you take him to this special clinic and have him go through a chamber for four to six hours a day to help rebuild the brain cells. And my wife, thank God for a wife who is strong in faith. And thank God for daughters that are strong in faith. And they said to the doctor, my wife said to the doctor, sir, thank you, but you don't know my husband and you don't know our God. And said, my husband has not finished his course and he will recover. They said it's medically impossible. I said, well, it may be, but not with the God I serve. He's, he specializes in what men say is impossible. And so I'm totally unaware of any of this. I lost total use of my right arm, my right leg, total memory loss. I don't know, I don't know my family. I don't know my wife. I don't know my children. They stand right in front of me and ask, who am I? I didn't know who they were, and the only word I could say in English was yes, and if I saw their lips no longer moving, I assumed they were through talking, and I don't have a clue what they said, but I'd just say yes. The doctor that my wife said put a coloring book, a child's coloring book in my hands and pointed to butterflies and leaves and trees and birds and asked me, what is this? I didn't have a clue. I couldn't answer. All I could say was yes. If his lips stopped moving, I'd say, yes. My wife said, Who am I? And I'd just look at her and say, Yes. My my youngest daughter, Terry, would say, Daddy, do you know me? I didn't know her. My oldest daughter, that she's 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 like a mama. She's feisty. She'll get in your face. See, I was born with this dimple, but it wasn't as deep as it is now until I married Carolyn, because this is where she grabs me and says, "Are you listening to me?" <laughs> and uh, so Jerry Ann, my oldest daughter, she got up in front of me and she said, "Who am I, Daddy?" And I looked at her, and I didn't have a clue. I said, "Daddy, who am I?" And I still didn't know. She got up in the bed with me and said, you know who I am. I'm your oldest daughter. Who am I? And they said, I said, I don't know where this came from. Her name is Jerry Ann. I said, Jerry Ann Obama. <laughs> she said, Jerry Ann Obama? Where did that come from? I didn't know I said it. You know? And I, I, I just assumed that the Lord was letting me know that he was on his way out. I don't know. That maybe, that was, that maybe that was the revelation I got. <laughs> Anyway, I, I could not function at all. And they said I would never be able to function normally again, that my wife was going to have to take care of me like an invalid. Well, for about three days, I'm in that hospital. I'm not getting any better. And they didn't think I would ever get any better. Now, my son-in-law, who's married to my youngest daughter, Terry. I'm sitting on the bed, just staring out in the hall. I don't, I, I'm unaware of anything. I can't communicate. I got to hold this arm up. If I let go of it, it's dead weight. If it's fall aside. the side. If I try to get up, somebody has to help me up. And, and, and I'm walking like this with the help of somebody assisting me. And my son-in-law came in and sat down on the bed next to me. And he said. And I don't, I don't remember the conversation they told me later. He said, Dad, I was in here yesterday. I don't know if you knew I was here. But I was here yesterday, and you told me that you wanted to give me your 1967 Corvette. Now, he knew the only thing I could say was yes. He, he was setting me up. And he said, you told me you wanted to give me your 1967 Corvette, and I just wanted to know if I could come, if I could come and pick it up today. And he said, uh, I just looked blank right out, the, right out in the hallway. And then I turned and said, no. <laughs> and Rodney jumped up and said, he's getting better now. We can all go home. That's the first time I'd say anything but yes, you know. And he knew I couldn't say anything but Yes. And then my wife said, Brother Copeland came and stood over my bed and preached to me for two solid hours, just pumping the Word in me, pumping the Word in me, pumping the Word in me, pumping the Word in me. I don't even remember the man being there. But my wife said this. She said, the whole time that Brother Copeland stood over your bed, preached to you, you prayed in tongues the whole time, prayed in the Spirit the whole time. Now, later after I recovered, And my wife told me that. I said, Lord, why was I able to pray in the Spirit, but I couldn't say but one word in English, and it was yes. And I got a great revelation. The Lord said, it's because your Spirit is not connected to your brain. And that's coming out of your Spirit. Amen. Out of your Spirit shall flow rivers of living water. That was a great revelation to me. And so anyway, the the doctor came in and told my wife we're going to let him go home. And so they put me in a wheelchair, and they wheeled me out to the car, and my wife took me home. And one of my granddaughters, Rachel, she, she became my coach, and she took me into our, our family room, and, and she's working with me. And she, she'd get right in my face. She said, Papa, you're known all over the world for telling people don't quit. You teach people all over the world how to be winners in life, and you are not going to quit. You hear me, Papa? I am not going to let you quit. And I, did, I, I don't know what she's even saying. I'm just blank. But that's, that's what they told me later. And so finally, after the second day I was home, I have a, I have a museum, and it's full of classic automobiles, classic motorcycles. And uh, I pointed to it like this. And Rachel said, Papa, what do you want? I, Pointed to the museum. She said, you want to go to the museum? I said, yes. And she helped me up, and I'm having to hold this right arm against my chest and hold it with my left hand, and she helps me walk out to the museum. When I get to the museum, she unlocks the door. She turns the lights on, turns the alarm off, and I'm standing there just looking at all the collection. And I walk over to the area where all the classic motorcycles are. And in my heart, even though I can't communicate it with my mouth, I'm saying I'm going to start everything in here before I walk out of this building. Because I knew in my heart, even though I can't communicate, faith without corresponding actions is void of power. So I I got to show some action. Will thou be made whole? I'm answering that question, okay? And so, she helps me walk over to my oldest Harley Davidson, the 1942, and it actually saw duty in World War II in Russia, and I've had it restored to all of its military markings. Now, it's hard to start when everything in your body is working perfectly. It's it's not electric start like a new one, you know, and it's like trying to start a Model T Ford. There's a procedure you have to. I can't remember the procedure. I can't remember one thing about how to start this motorcycle. So I prayed in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told me what to do. I like telling people, did you know the Holy Ghost knows how to start a 42 Harley Davidson? And so he told me what to do, and then Rachel had to hold me up while I put my right foot on the kickstart and I kicked it a couple of times, and it started. I just left it running. Then I went to my 46 Harley and did the same thing. Went to my 57 Harley, did the same thing. Went to my Indian motorcycles, did the same thing. My Triumph motorcycles, did the same thing, and left all of them running. Then I went to all of my classic cars and started everything in there, and then I just stood back, and I like to say, the smell of fumes was exhilarating. (laughs) I grew up on racetracks and there's nothing quite like the smell of fumes especially from very fast vehicles and I I am redeemed from slow (laughs) fast is my middle name amen I grew up on speed and I'm not talking drugs I'm talking horsepower (laughs) I don't know anything about that speed drugs you'll have to ask jesse to plant us about that i don't know anything about it (laughs) jesse took trips all over the world (laughs) and never left his living room (laughs) on speed you know (laughs) in fact you ought to see jesse i'll take him riding in one of my muscle cars we call them in america back in the 1964 they introduced the muscle car area and that was what i used to drag race and uh, I have a 65 GTO that's extremely fast. And I put Jesse to plant us in it. And I said, hold on, Jesse, because we are going to burn rubber in at least three gears. Jesse screamed like a girl all the way down the road. <laughs> So anyway, I, I, I went through there and turned everything off. And then Rachel helped me back to the door. I'm holding this arm up. She's helping me walk. She turns the lights off, turns the alarm on. We walk outside, and I said when we got outside, Rachel, give me the keys. She said, Papa, did you see what you just did? I said, what? She said, you reached for him with your right arm. I got my arm back, I got my leg back, and watch this, watch this. I took three steps toward my house and totally restored. Absolutely, totally restored. Amen. Got all my memory back. And Joe McCroskey and I, in the next two weeks, we were preaching all over the world, and I hadn't slowed down since. Do I look like a man who'd never preach again? Do I look like a man who'd never walk again? Do I look like a man who'd never be normal again? But God. I said, but God. Amen. I went from no hope to what I consider the maximum. Made whole. Made whole. And there's no evidence I ever had a stroke. And I've had the privilege of preaching for stroke victims all over the world since then. And watched many of them be healed as I was healed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord a good shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Now, listen to this. Jesus asked this man, will you be made whole? That question, first of all, implies that wholeness is available. I want to, I want to ask it this way. Will you receive maximum? Yes. The question implies maximum is available but will you receive it I I will receive it I've already made the decision to receive it but I can't make that decision for you so I ask you again will you receive God's maximum this year amen maximum means the highest level attainable and it, and it doesn't it doesn't stop with healing in your body, its finances. How many of you are sowers? I heard the testimony of the young man that sowed and blessed someone else. God honored it because that's biblical. In fact, not to reap a harvest from seeds you sow is a violation of spiritual law. How many of you are still waiting for a harvest on seeds you've sown? Well, I got some good news for you. Psalm 20 says, and I'm paraphrasing, he never forgets a seed sown. It says he remembers your offerings. Now you tend to forget them, but God never forgets them. Amen. God never forgets a seed sown. Not too long ago, Jesse Duplantis and I were in Augusta, Georgia doing a, uh, what we call Catch the Spirit of Revival rally, three-day meeting. And, uh, We we went there a a day or so early, so we could spend some time in fellowship together before the meeting started. And once we got checked in the hotel, uh, we we wanted to go have some lunch together. So we asked the front desk uh, where would be a good place to have lunch, and the hotel was on a river. And she said, "Go down uh, the steps from the parking lot, go across the go down the river walk." And there's a great restaurant, several restaurants down there, and all of them are very good. So you can take your choice. So we all went down there. My wife, Carolyn, Jesse's wife, Kathy, the four of us are walking down there. And uh, we had a wonderful meal and and good fellowship, and we're coming back to the hotel. And Jesse and I are, are up there talking about something, and Carolyn and Kathy are talking, probably decorating houses. That's their thing, you know. And so uh, Jesse, Kathy asked Jesse to come and enter into the conversation she was having with Carolyn. I said, well, you guys go ahead and talk. I'll just keep walking, and I'll meet you at the top of the stairs. So they were standing there talking, and I went on and came up the stairs. And as soon as I got up to the parking lot level, there was a little a little girl come running across the parking lot about 10, 12 years old, and she ran and grabbed me around the legs and was crying and saying, Brother Jerry, Brother Jerry, God told me this would happen. God told me this would happen. I said, sweetheart, who are you? She said, my mama brought me and my brothers from Boston to Augusta, Georgia to be in yours and Brother Jesse's meeting this week. and Our car has broken down three times on the way down here, and it just broke down again, and it's out in the street, and mama's crying, and she spent all her money that she had to, to get here, and to be there here this week, she spent it on this car, and she said, mama's crying, and I said, well, mama, she, the little girl said, well, mama, let's pray that God will send us Brother Jerry. He used to work on cars. <laughs> She said, well, sweetheart, it's not likely Brother Jerry bought his tools. He didn't come to work on a car. he came come to preach. She said, but Mama, you said, Jesus said, what things wherever we desire, believe we receive them, we'll have them. She said, yes, that's what he said, but, sweetheart, I don't want you to build your hopes up. It's not likely we'll even see Brother Jerry. And if we do, he didn't bring his tools. And Mama just laid her head on the steering wheel and started crying. Well, the little girl prayed anyway. God, Send us, Brother Jerry. And about that time, she looked up, now I'm coming, on, coming up the steps. She jumped out of the car, and her mama don't even know she left the car. And she'd run across the parking lot, grabbed me, and is telling me this story. I said, well, let's go see mama. And so I'm holding hands with the little girl. We get out to the street, and mama's got her head on the steering wheel crying. I tapped her on her shoulder. I said, hi, mama. She looked up, she said, I don't believe it. I said, your daughter did she said, I said, Mama, how can I help you? She said, told me the story. The car broke down and I don't have any more money. We came to hear you and Brother Jesse and I spent all my money trying to keep this car running and now it's broke down again. I said, don't worry about it. I said, I have friends here in Augusta. I'll call them and ask them a a shop that we can send your car to and don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for it. And I said, uh, so don't worry about it. And about that time somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around it was Jesse. I didn't know he'd even walked up. And he said, you're not getting all that blessing. I'm going to pay for half of it. <laughs> I said, well, Mama, Jesse's going to pay for half of it. So I had one of my associates call my friend there that lived there and, and ask where we could have the, the car sent to and send a, a tow truck to pick it up. I said, now where are you folks staying? I said, well, we don't have any place to stay. We spend all our money. I said, Well, this is the headquarters hotel for the meeting. And I said, I'll arrange for you to have a room and I'm gonna pay for it. Don't worry about it. Jesse tapped me on the shoulder and said, You're not getting all that blessing. I'm paying for half of it. I said, Mama Jesse's gonna pay for half of it. I said, No kids, when you had she had a boy uh, two boys and this girl. And I said, No kids, when you get in the room, there's a there's a menu where you can order food, anything you want, and whatever it costs, don't be concerned about it. Order all you want, and they'd never stayed in a hotel before. They didn't. They had never heard of room service, and so I said, and I'm going to pay for it, and I'm going to host you this week, and not only that, we're going to send one of our vehicles from the ministry to pick you up and take you back and forth to the meetings. I'll have seats for you on the front row, and I'm going to pay for everything. Jesse said, You're not paying for everything. I'm paying for half of it. I said, Jesse's paying for half of it. And so we treated them like royalty. They'd never been so blessed in all their lives. Okay? So we didn't, we didn't ask for a harvest from it. I just did that out of the goodness of my heart. I didn't say, Now, Lord, I'm believing for a harvest on the seed I sowed into this family. Didn't say anything about it. I just, I'm a giver. I love giving. I live to give. You know, when you're debt free, you don't know anything personally, you don't own anything in your ministry, anywhere in the world, then all your income becomes seed. That's a great way to live. Amen. So I, I and, and my wife preached a message years ago, born to be a blessing. That's what we believe. We were born to be a blessing. Amen. So we're just blessing these, this family. We're not looking for a, a harvest from it. And so uh, after the meeting, we, we got their car repaired, gave them some money to get back home on, and I told uh, one of my daughters that was with me, get their, her number and check on her all the way back to Boston to make sure she gets back safe and sound. Tell her to call you when she gets home. And so they did all of that. So we go home and after the meeting. And every, uh, this, this, every month, I would have a partner rally at our headquarters. And this particular Friday night, after I got through preaching, I told the people, I said, uh, forgive me for not sticking around and, and fellowshipping with you, shaking hands with you. I have a, I have a call to make to my directors in, in Kenya. We're building a medical facility. And I promised them I would call them tonight after I get out of the meeting. And so... I'm going to have one of my associates come up and pray and dismiss you, and I'll see you next month. So as he's praying, I'm walking out. So I, I get about as far as this lady is, and this man sitting in the aisle, he says quietly, uh, Brother Jerry, read this and call me. And he put a note in my hand. And So I, I, I thanked him, and I said, I'll, I will. So I just put it in my pocket, and then when I got to my office, I took it out of my pocket and put it in my Bible case, uh, and I called my directors in Kenya. And I spent nearly two hours talking to them. And then I went home. And I forgot about that note. And So when I got home, my wife was, was in Minneapolis uh, doing a, a ladies' meeting with Lynn Hammond. So I'm home on the weekend by myself, which is rare. I looked everywhere in the house for a honey-do list. <laughs> Couldn't find one, I thought, Hallelujah. This weekend is a motorcycle weekend. And so I I thought, well, I'll go to bed. I'll get up in the morning, and I'm going to ride my motorcycle to San Antonio and visit some friends, have lunch with them. If I decide to spend the night, I will. If not, I'll turn around and ride back. So that was my plan. So I went to bed, got up the next morning about 530, went into the kitchen, made a cup of tea, and then I remembered that note that that man gave me. I went to my study, got it out of my briefcase, and the note said, "Brother Jerry, I know you love Corvettes. I've heard you say you've been driving them all your life. Your first one was a 1958 when you were 16 years old." He said, "I'd like to buy you a new Corvette if you're interested. Call me." <laughs> I looked at my watch. It's about six o'clock. I didn't want to wake him up, so at six ten I called him. <laughs> He said, what took you so long? I thought you'd call me last night. I said, I told him the story. And I said, I just now read the note. He said, told me where his dealership was in Dallas. He said, how long would it take you to get to Dallas from where you are? I said, normally with where you are, it'd be at least an hour and 15, 30 minutes possibly. He said, well, when can I expect you? I said, I'll be there in about 45 minutes. (laughs) So I drove my... Suburban over there, you know, and I go in the showroom and it's full of Corvettes, brand new Corvettes. And he said, "Now I've already picked out one for you, and I just want to see if you pick out the same one. So just just walk through here and look at all of them and let me know which one you want." And so I walked through there and looked at all of them and I said, "That one." He said, "That's the very one I picked out for you. I've already got the paperwork. All you got to do is sign it. It's paid for." He said, how are you going to get it home? I said, I'm going to drive it. He said, how are you going to get that Suburban home? I said, you're going to drive it. And then I'll bring you back. Okay. So when I started back home, I, I'm, I'm sitting in this brand new Corvette. Now, don't you love the smell of new? And, of course, Corvettes are fast. And like, like Brother Copeland drove one of my Corvettes one time, and he came back and he said, Jerry... I had three opportunities to send in that car, and I passed two of them by. (laughs) So you got, you got, you know, you gotta find out what it'll do. And so, man, I'm, I'm, I'm got a smile on my face. And finally, I said, Lord, I didn't ask you for a new Corvette. I said I have Corvettes, classic Corvettes. I said, why did you do this? Why did you tell that man to buy me this Corvette? He said. That's your harvest on the seed you sowed into that family from Boston. I said, Lord, I didn't ask you for a harvest. He said, I'll never forget it. Yes, but I never forget a seed sown. I never forget a seed sown. I called Jesse right then. I said, Jesse, has anything out of the ordinary, supernatural happened to you in the last 24 hours? He said, I was just about to call you. I said, What happened? He said, There was a man drove by my house in an old truck, and he saw me standing out on my my, uh, deck on the the second level of the house, and he said, he rolled the window down and hollered, Brother Jesse, I was hoping I'd see you, and he took a, a paper bag and threw it in Jesse's front yard and just drove off. Jesse went out there and got the bag. He said... It had $50,000 cash in it. He said, has anything happened to you? I said, come on and see. I said, I'm sitting in a brand new Corvette. I said, did the Lord say anything to you about why that happened? He said, yeah. And that's the reason I was going to call you to tell you about it and tell you what the Lord said. He said, Jesse, I'll never forget a seed song. I'd never forget a seed song. Now, why would you settle for partial harvest bones when you can have steak? (laughs) Let me ask the question again. How many of you are sowers? Then you're entitled to a harvest. You're entitled to a harvest. Now, I, I grew up on a, I was born on a farm in Mississippi my grandfather had 70 acres. We were self-contained. My grandfather bought that place in 1927, and that's how he got through the Great Depression because he had cattle, he had hogs, he had chickens, he 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 uh, farmed, he had several acres in produce, take it to the market and sell it, and that's how he got through the Depression. So I was born on that farm. My dad was raised on that farm, and... Uh, we, we, we were pretty much self-contained. But as a young boy, my grandfather taught me the law of seed, time, and harvest. I didn't have a clue that it was in the Bible. And once I found it in the Bible, I thought, this is what my grandfather taught me as a little boy. And I remember him saying, uh, when we'd bring in the corn, the harvest of the corn, and my grandfather had four bins in the barn, and the best corn he'd put in the first bin. The second best corn, the second bin. The third best corn, the third bin. And the fourth bin was corn that he gave neighbors that didn't have food to eat. The first bin, we never ate. It was the best corn. And I'd ask him, Grandpa, why don't we ever eat the best corn? He said, that's for sowing for next year's harvest. He said, you never eat your best corn. You sow it for next year. If you if you start eating your best corn, eventually it's going to degenerate, and the corn won't be worth harvesting. So we never eat the best corn. We ate the same corn that the cattle ate. The third bin was what he took to the market to sell, and the fourth bin was what he gave to neighbors that didn't have food. And we lived on a on a road, a dirt road, uh, where we had two white families. And the rest of them were black families, and most of them were sharecroppers. They didn't own the property, and they, and they, and they just got minimum uh, food for their labor. And my grandfather saw to it that none of our neighbors ever went without food. He was a sower. He was a giver. And I learned all that from my grandfather, and I had no idea those principles were in the Bible. And when I discovered that in the Bible, I thought, this is what my grandfather taught me. Amen. And I've been a sower ever since. And I've been a harvester ever since. In fact, I am experiencing this year maximum harvest. And you can too. Amen. So in closing, let me ask you again. Do you believe God is able to do this for you? Yes. Will you receive it? Yes. Stand your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.